Well, the time is here for us to begin our study in the book of Revelation. Um, and fittingly, the title of our entire series in Revelation will be Revelation, the time is near. The time is near. And also, that's the title of today's message, the time is near. Today we're going to look at the first three verses in Revelation. And don't get too excited because we're not going to look at them until the very end. So I guess you have something to hope for and wait for. Uh, but I think that this book, this uh, Revelation, uh, needs a decent intro. I, mean, I need to set the stage a little bit, tell you where I'm coming from, tell you where I think the book is coming from before we dig into it. And I say that because I believe a lot of people are afraid of this book, probably both because of its content and also the perception that it is cryptic. People shy away from Revelation thinking that they can't understand it, it's impossible to understand. And I have to wonder if the people, the majority of the people who might think that or say that, have they ever sat down and just read it? Perhaps tried to understand it? Because Revelation, for the most part, does tend to explain itself. Something in one chapter might be explained in the next, but also things that are in Revelation uh, although they are revealed to John for the first time and revealed in a way that isn't necessarily revealed in the rest of Scripture, there are plenty of other prophecies and other, and other books that do talk about these things. Jesus himself does, uh, many of the prophets, Daniel, uh, Ezekiel, and others. But also I think people are afraid of this book in some sense because it's an important briefing. Uh, you know, if you ever listen to Chuck Missler, he tends to talk on those business confidential top secret briefings. And in a sense, it, it is one of those as well, because it tells of a, a complicated and yet simple future. But there also is a level of decoding that's needed, almost to say that if you're serious about your faith, read this. But if you're not serious about your faith, you might not read this. You know, as uh, for, for a living, uh, I work with computers. I've always enjoyed computers growing up and a lot of the things that are complicated to other people, I don't find complicated probably because I've played around with it since I was little and I'm uh, ever since Nintendo. Uh, but one of the things that comes with them uh, is an instruction manual. And instruction manuals come with a lot of things and there's all sorts of jokes about, uh, you know, throwing out the manual, not reading the manual, just winging it. Uh, but when it comes to life, we need to read the manual. And I think, and I believe and know that the Bible is our manual for living. Uh, and I think Revelation in and of itself might even be a manual for why should we even read the Bible? Uh, but I got some new power tools lately. I'm, I've read all the warnings. Uh, they weren't very long, but they were very serious. Loss of life, serious injury and limb. So I've taken those to count. Uh, I'm used to tools perhaps for more working on cars than woodworking, and there's not so many warnings for those things that work on cars, and yet I can attest with the scar on my arm, they are still dangerous. But I like my fingers. I like my limbs. I like having a life, and I don't want to lose it, and so I read the manual. Uh, and uh, I have an old coworker, we don't uh, work together anymore, uh, but her fiance, almost lost two of his finger, fingers to a table saw. The doctors were able to reattach them. They weren't sure if they would stay or not, but he's had them. And I don't want to even come close to that. Um, but when it comes back to the computers and read me, 
there's some complicated things and always the first thing you read before you dig into a complicated repository of code is the file that says readme because it will break down all the different complicated things that if you were to dig into separately you wouldn't necessarily understand and so i think that that's what today's message is it's sort of a readme for the readme of the bible that we're going to go through this and get uh, hopefully some touch points on the revelation we're not going to get an outline of revelation or anything today but what we look at, I think, is certainly going to help set the stage and help us grasp the things that we're about to uh, look at. And with that, we should know the Bible a little bit before getting into Revelation, I believe. I believe it helps to know other areas of Scripture before you read this, but you certainly don't have to. I, I read Revelation as a kid. In the eighth grade in a Christian school, we went through Revelation, and it fascinated me. I had started walking away from the Lord. I didn't really know the Lord, you know. I knew him in a kid sort of sense. And as things tra uh, transpired in my life, I began to walk away from him. But Revelation was something that stuck with me. I don't remember a lot of the other things I perhaps learned in eighth grade, but Revelation I did. And after September 11th, beginning to see the vanity of the world, sin beginning to eat away at me or continue to eat away at me, um, I began to read Revelation again. I didn't know the Lord. I was still doing my own thing. In fact, I was still, uh, to be honest with you, on drugs while reading Revelation and trying to make sense of it all. Uh, the, the girl that I was seeing in college ended up getting me the Left Behind books uh, because I had been reading Revelation. And those books, although she didn't know the Lord either, God used them to get my attention and to eventually get me to come to him, to evangelize to me. I didn't have a Christian in my life. Uh, and those books became that evangelist to me. They helped me make some sense over what I was reading, what I was seeing around me in the world and life. And I'm not going to say that they were perfect theologically, uh, but they certainly uh, were in the right direction. In fact, Revelation began to get my attention so much, and God through it, that I began to share it with my friends. I would have long rants with them and share with them. Some liked it, some didn't like it. Some wanted more, some didn't, and I'm not, I don't even know that I was sharing the gospel, but I was sharing the things that I saw in Revelation and read and about the things in the world. But do you know ultimately what this did for me and what the Holy Spirit did through it? I'll tell you, he, he, used, he used it to bring me to know him, to come to salvation, to be forgiven of all my sin, and to be free of the judgment that was to come because I was convicted by it. I knew the Bible is truth, even though I had been living the truth, even though I didn't have a relationship with God like I should have. I knew that God was true. I knew that the Bible is true, just something that was deep down in me that I just, it's, I can't even say that I believed it because it wasn't something that I saw in all. When you say that in society, it kind of feels like, well, I believe the earth is flat, you know, even though it's not. I just knew that I knew that this was truth and that it was solid truth and it was something that I could turn to and I began to turn to. But as I read Revelation, it was more evident I knew that the end was coming and soon by the way the world was going. And, and this was almost 20 years ago. I, it took me a few years to actually bow my knee, but I saw everything lining up geopolitically. I saw everything becoming facts what had never been fact before technologically. I saw the way the world was going spiritually. And like I said, I even began to warn others of hell. And once even was rebuked, basically, you and I were just doing the same exact thing together. 
and you're going to go to hell just as much as I will. And that was a slap in the face that God used to get my attention. And within a week, I was crying out to the Lord at the floor in my mom's room. And I got saved. And that's when everything changed. I started to go to church. I started to read the Bible. Other than just Revelation. My life began to change. Things were taken away from me. I gave up things and I gained so much more. And I want that for you. I want that for anyone listening. That if you don't know God, I want you to come to face with Jesus Christ in this book. Face to face with Him. Because after all, as many would call it, Revelation, or the Revelation, that's not the full title. It's the Revelation of Jesus Christ. And God used this book, the Revelation of Jesus Christ, to reveal Jesus Christ to me. And as those things are revealed to you and I, as we study this book, there are going to be some very hard things in it that we encounter. Things that are hard to both understand and to accept. Things that might be easy to understand and it's hard to accept them. Things about God, things about the church, things about the world you and I live in, both physically but also the world system, about the time we live in, about the past, the present, and the future, about the end of time, about heaven, about what happens after all of this, about Christianity even, and even more so, I believe, about your own responsibility and your own destiny in light of all these things. Now, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I believe I have a decent grasp on this book, on the truth of God and what's within it, uh, perhaps on about how some of these things might play out uh, some of God's heart in it, of who he reveals himself to be, and what's revealed in it. But I'm no expert, and I believe unto me and to anyone who would claim to be an absolute expert on these things, God might say unto us, like he did unto Job in Job 38, 1-4, he says, The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding, God says. And then God might say, where were you when I finished the world, when I judged the world? Where were you and where are you when all of this happens? Because we have to remember that time that we live in, it's not the same as eternity. Eternity is separate. It's outside of time. In fact, time perhaps even is contained Perhaps even as what we'll see the crystal sea, and that's just conjecture, but time is somehow encapsulated inside of eternity. And God sees the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. So the things that he did at the beginning, he knew what would happen in the end. And I can't explain how that works on a timeline, but it does. And even if I were the foremost expert on Revelation, which I'm not, I still wouldn't be God. And I'm looking forward to having my faith and knowledge increased and strengthened to have even more resolve as we go through this book together. To be honest, I'm excited. I'm excited and I'm nervous. I'm excited because I love this book. I'm nervous because I got to be sure what I sure that I'm sure what I'm teaching. And it's probably going to take a little more study than it would to do any other area of scripture. And not that any area needs a little bit of study. 
But truthfully, I think the timing is perfect. It's perfect personally, it's perfect spiritually, the way the world is going, and practically. I don't know that five years ago I could have taught this, or ten years ago, even though I think God just had to bring me to a place now where I'm able to. Because to be honest, it's resurfaced a lot of things from 20 years ago that were buried in me. And I've had to come to grips with a lot of things and deal with a lot of heart issues because it was so wrapped up in my conversion process. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Jesus return before the end of our study through it. That, man, the way things are going, he could come back at any moment. And that's no different. But man, the day is nearer now than it was 20 years ago when I was reading this. And I've read it multiple times since then and listened to many studies and studied it and everything. So don't think this is the first time I've picked it up in 20 years. But even if we don't see Jesus come back with our physical eyes within the next uh, few months and however long it takes, I pray that we will with our spiritual eyes, that he will be revealed to us. And Lord, this morning as we dig into your word and get ready to devour this scroll that you've given us, God, open our eyes. Open all those around us, those who would listen and those we might talk to, God, that they would see you for who you really are, their Savior, their lover, their friend, their God, their maker, but also the judge of the whole earth, that you weren't just some man who was crucified and you did exist, but that you're bigger than that. And that was a big thing to begin with. You are God over all the earth and all of heaven and all time and all eternity. Come soon, we pray, Lord Jesus, even now. That would be the ultimate revelation we're looking for, God, is you. And to rip through the sky as the heavens recede as a scroll. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I've got a lot of pages of notes here. I don't know how long it's going to take. Usually I can tell how long a message is by how many pages of notes I have. But I have a lot of quoted scripture in here. We're going to go through quite a few this morning. We're not going to look at them in depth. We may revisit them as we go through further in the study. But again, I think they do a great job at setting the stage for us scripturally, personally, mentally, spiritually, practically, in every way, I think that this book is going to impact us. And the first scripture I want to quote is from Yoda. <laughs> just kidding, is that scripture? I was going to do with a voice, but I'll probably just mess it up. But he says, hmm, the dark side clouds everything. Impossible to see the future is. See, I messed it up. He says, the dark side clouds everything. Impossible to see the future is. And I think, I know that it's a movie. And I know it has nothing to do with the Bible. But I think that that quote really rings true for the way we perceive things. That man, sin does cloud our vision. And it is hard, impossible even, to see the future. And yet in Revelation, we're given a very clear picture of the future. It may not be the clearest how it will play out practically. What players exactly will be the different players we see. But we will see exactly what is going to happen. We have a guarantee of the end. We know the end from the beginning, in some sense, the way the Lord does as believers. That we're given a window into the future, into the present, and to the spiritual realm, unlike anything else. And now for the real first scripture I want to share. It's 1 Corinthians 13, 9-13. And the Apostle Paul says, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. And pause there. I believe that in our study through Revelation, God is going to challenge us to become 
a man, become a woman, so to speak, and to put away the childish things of our faith and begin to carry out our faith in more of a mature manner. I think Revelation is a very good catalyst for that. And Paul goes on in verse 12, he says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know, just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. He says, prophecy in sense is going to go away because we're going to know all the things of God in a perfect way. And we're not going to need prophecy to reveal it to us then because we'll be on the other side of prophecy, so to speak. And that's Revelation. The goal of Revelation is to get us to that other side. And we are given the essentials in Scripture. But in the same sense, we're on a need-to-know basis. We don't need to know everything that goes on spiritually. We don't need to know everything that goes on physically. God doesn't tell us how the atoms work in the Bible. I mean, he kind of does. He tells us that the Big Bang was in the beginning, but it's at the end, Peter talks about, that the elements will burn up with a fervent heat and a loud noise. But we can't handle it all. But what we can handle is enough to get us saved, and that's what God reveals in Scripture. But that some of those things are clouded to us because of sin. Some of the personal sin, right? You know, if you and I are sinning personally, we can't see God. But also because of just living in a fallen world, that our dimension is disconnected by heaven because of sin. Sin, in a sense, is that rip, that disconnection between perfection and holiness in us. And just because of our understanding and capability in, in, in this life, that even if there wasn't sin in a sense in this world, we're still not God. We're still limited in capability and understanding, but he would reveal it to us in, in time when we're able to handle it. There's things that Jesus would, would want to share with his disciples along the way in the Gospels, and we see that he wasn't able to at certain times because they weren't ready to handle it. And I pray that anyone listening, if you're listening, the reason you're listening is because you're ready to handle it, whether you realize it or not. But ultimately, remember that when we get to heaven, it's all going to make sense. In some sense, it's not going to matter. Because we're, like, we're here. Uh, who cares if I was confused before? But when we read Revelation, we are given that window into heaven, like I said, into the future, into that spiritual battle. Remember that we're in a spiritual battle. Things that go on in our lives, we're not waging war against flesh and blood. It's because there's principalities and powers of spiritual. There's a reason why World War II happened. And it wasn't because Adolf Hitler wanted to start a war. It's because there was a spiritual battle going on behind it. And you have to wonder who was in charge because he was attacking God's people. But Revelation is a revelation unlike any other. We don't get this picture as complete as we do any other way in the scripture. And you're certainly not going to find it anywhere else in reality. Because right here is going to be one of the best revelations of Jesus Christ. It's almost as if the Mount of Transfiguration is somehow put down in this book even more. That what the disciples saw there when Jesus was glowing in his radiance, we're going to see even more brightly, even more powerful, and, and more than that, just him on that mountain, but him in heaven and him coming back to the earth in power and glory. And the Apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 12, 1-6, It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows such a one was caught up into the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body I do not know, God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. 
Of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool. For I will speak the truth, but I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears for me. And some might say that that man that was caught up was Paul. And if it was or if it wasn't, he's saying that the things he saw in heaven, he was not allowed to speak about it. In the sense that God maybe even didn't just tell him he couldn't speak about it. But even just seeing them and coming to the realization of how holy and how amazing they are, you realize there's no way that I can talk about these things. The words I have would not do it justice, and it would puff me up, and people would look at me like I was something holy. And when people come to tell you that they've gone to hell and they've written a book or they've seen heaven and they've written it down, I don't think they have. If they have, it was a demonic vision. Because who's it giving glory to? I mean, we get a couple clear pictures of heaven in the Bible, and it's through this prophets. And they don't go out on a book tour. And the things that they see, a lot of times they say, I can't understand, and I, can't, I can only write it down. But the Apostle Paul saw these things, and he couldn't write them. And yet we see here in Revelation, the Apostle John, that one who loved Jesus, who rested on him, wrote epistles about love, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And even the Gospel of John is about the love of God. He's the one that gets to write down what he sees. And more than just getting to, he is expressly told to write them down. Write these things down, John. Tell them. And the Bible is full of many prophetic chapters, many prophetic books, many prophetic verses. You know, prophecy being... Number one, being foretelling the things of God, whether it's just the truth of God. God loves you. In a sense, that's prophecy because it's the truth of God. But also prophecy could be in the sense of a nation or a person where you're saying things that will come to pass in the future. We see these things in Daniel 11, Matthew 24, Ezekiel, uh, spelled the wrong notes, 38 and 39, etc. There are plenty of these scriptures that we can look at and we may end up looking at as we go through Revelation to help us better understand it. And in fact, from what I, I, I heard and understand, Revelation might have even been penned before John wrote the Gospel of John, based on the things that are written in John and the things that are written in here. And when he's there writing this, this was his first thing to write down. And maybe he wrote the other letters first, I don't know, but it's interesting to think about. But the end is nigh. The end is nigh. Consider me that guy with the signboard. I'll go take down the church A-frame and I'll put the end is nigh and stick it out there. Maybe I should do that. But sincerely, these, there's people out there that look like John the Baptist. Maybe they're homeless. Maybe they're crazy. Maybe they're right. They're wrong. But this is sort of a modern thing. I don't think people are going around in, in the dark ages with those signs. Maybe they were. And I'm not sure, that, again, that these people existed too much further in the past. Maybe it's a 20th century thing, a 19th century thing. But in fact, the Revelation, from what I understand, was largely ignored until the past century or so. That the early Christians loved it and read it, but as time went on, it kind of faded into obscurity and was relegated to uh, the dustbin of faith. And only in the past couple hundred years has it come back up and been a focus of study and of preaching. So with that, I find it interesting that these people are cropping up now in history. If you look at history as a big timeline. 
In the past hundred or so years, these people have cropped up and Revelation has come back into the forefront and we're paying attention to it when it was largely ignored for so long. Because if we remember from our study in Genesis, how many years before the flood did God tell Noah to build the ark? It was 120. That he had all those times, all that time to build the ark and be a witness before the judgment. In Matthew 24, 36 through 44, Jesus himself says, But at that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. For as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of Son of Man be. That doesn't give you chills. Something's wrong with you. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. It says your Lord. It's talking to us believers. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Sometimes I hear a noise at night, it's hard to sleep, because I don't know if the hour has come for a thief to break in. God talks about the days of Noah, that they went on doing what they were doing, reveling and partying and sinning and fighting and marrying and doing life as normal, right up until the fountains broke open, right up until the raindrops hit them in the head, and they weren't prepared for it. Perhaps they banged on the side of the ship. Noah let us in, but he couldn't, for God had shut the door. And Jesus says, we won't know the exact second. So don't believe those people that tell you, Jesus is coming back on such and such day. Give money to the ministry, rack up your credit card. No. But we can know, as evidence, the season that he will return. Noah didn't know exactly what day that rain was dropping, and that's, I'm sure, great motivation to finish his, uh, his boat project. But he didn't know it was coming. And soon. Acts 1, 6 through 8 says, Therefore, when they had come together, the disciples, they asked Jesus, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? This was after the resurrection, before the ascension. And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. He's saying, You guys right here, you can't know all the details of how this is going to play out just yet, but know that it's time for you to go out and preach the gospel to all nations. Be witnesses. Tell them that you saw me, what you saw and heard, the Bible says. And First Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11, But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. Paul says to the Thessalonians, you guys know these things. You know what the time of the end looks like. You know what the season is going to look like. I don't need to repeat it to you, he says. In verse 2, For you shall know perfectly the day of the Lord, so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them, as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. When you hear politicians, when you hear the world crying, Peace and safety, or that we need it, or that we have it, watch out. As pride comes before destruction, and Holy Spirit before a fall. When you think that all is safe and all is well, oh, just get the mark. Oh, we have more security. Oh, hand over your privacy. The government will handle it all for you. Handle it all for you. Know that those are the darkest times about to come. 
But brethren, you are not in darkness, verse 4, so that this day should not overtake you as a thief, that day being the, the Lord coming. We, we shouldn't be surprised as believers when it comes. We should be expecting it. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing that. We as believers, we should be sober. I think that's speaking of alcohol, but I think that more so is speaking spiritually. We should be sober. We should know that the end is coming and have an idea of when it's going to be and be ready for it. Why? Because we're not in the darkness. We're not those out there. We're the ones who are hammering together the ark, so to speak. And I also believe that the coming of the Son of Man is not only one event, but it's a series of events. It's not just one episode in a season. It's the entire season. That there's going to be several happenings. And I think uh, it more describes a series of events than one moment. That his appearing will be a definite happening and definite moment. But that there are a lot of events that surround it, that precede it, that happen during it and happen after. Romans 8, 18 through 22 says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to compare with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption and to the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. You know, birth pangs, they come quicker and quicker and quicker. And there's false labor and then eventually there's real labor. And eventually, eh, there's a baby. Paul's saying from the beginning of time, from when sin happened, creations began to crumble, began to fall apart, began to groan, that God would come back and reveal everything. And creation is groaning mightily heavy right now. Daniel 12, 1 through 4. At that time, Michael shall stand up, that's uh, the archangel, the great prince who stands, watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Even Daniel had to write things down, but he had to shut it up. And even the sense that the knowledge and the understanding of what Daniel was writing would not be understood until the time of the end. And what are two signs at the time of the end? The knowledge will increase, and then people will go to and fro over the face of the earth. And I don't know if you know this, but we live in the information age. Bronze age, we had the Industrial Revolution. But in the past 80 years, 60 years, we've gone from knowing very little to knowing vast amounts and knowing more and more and more. You and I have a little computer on our phone we're able to talk to anyone in the world at any moment of the day. We don't even have to call them. We could just send them our thoughts. We could talk to a computer. It, it tells them. 
We can have pictures, video from anywhere in the world. You can live stream from the middle of Antarctica. You can look up any information, encyclopedias, anything you want to know. You can learn how to do anything. Watch a few videos, listen to some uh, podcasts, read some books. All the information of humanity from all time is available to you in a microsecond. And yet I think we've forgotten wisdom. So if you don't think that this is the time when knowledge will increase, we went from early 1900s flying a, a, a biplane a few hundred yards to 50 years later in the 60s landing on the moon. Talk about knowledge increasing in 50 years, half a century, which we couldn't have done for thousands of years before that. Now talk about travel on the earth. People used to not leave a few square mile radius of their home for most of history. Now, not only can you leave a few square mile radius of your home, but you do that to go to the movies. You do that to go to Walmart. You travel across country. I travel for work in a plane. In a matter of hours, I am days away by car. I am months away by walking in a matter of hours. And I can hop on another plane, go to another side of the world. They have a 20 hour flight with, you can go anywhere. But more than that, we can go to planets. We have stuff outside the solar system. And if you look at the, the, the amount of traffic, the amount of flights, people are going to and fro across the face of the earth. So you tell me, is this the time of the end or not? And that was spoken to Daniel thousands of years ago. And I'm not even gonna get into another possible connotation of what that seems to be saying right now. I might later, and my wife probably already knows it. But another thing that happens is God is gonna pour out his spirit in Joel 2, 28 to 32. And it shall come to pass afterward, Acts 2, 17 quotes this verse and it says, the last days, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood, but before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. That We like to quote the scripture every time there's a red moon, this, this scripture comes up, but they forget to quote that part. Verse 32 that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That the point of all these things is that people would begin to call on Jesus. When they were drunk with life, drunk with the world, drunk with sin, when they begin to see these scary things happen, when these tragedies happen, when the world begins to completely fall apart, the point is that they would come to Jesus and not come to judgment. Because there are many judgments which are going to come on the earth. But remember, it's a final wake-up call for all of humanity before it's too late, before the end happens and you can't turn and you're faced with judgment. I watched Back to the Future 3 again recently and Doc Brown at the end of it, he doesn't drink, I think he's, <laughs> he takes a sip at the end and the bartender says, no! And he passes out right away and they gotta make him this wake up juice and it's full of all this disgusting things and he wakes up for a minute, he has this reflex reaction and then he's back out and says it takes him some time to wake up. And I believe in some sense, to use a weird picture, Revelation's like that. The judgment coming is like that. It's a bunch of things that taste awful, that are awful, that are painful and gross and not what you want to eat or drink. But the point is to wake you up.
that we wouldn't be willfully ignorant of God and His goodness and His grace and mercy and the depths of our sin and the judgment that it deserves. And as we look at Revelation, there's really three major views. There's the pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, or amillennial. Um, for time, you can actually look at them in the notes. Uh, but there's an interpretation uh, that these things are going to uh, happen in the future. There's an interpretation that kind of takes them that they've happened already. Uh, there's an interpretation that says, oh, it's spiritual, it's allegorical, that these things aren't real. Uh, and again, you can download the notes on the website. There's a button there. Um, it's the part highlighted in green on page six and seven. But I think that the most one is that it's future, but that to fall into any one of these camps alone, I think puts you in a, in a dogmatic error. Like the al- argument between Calvinism and Armenianism, was it God who chose you or you chose God? One camp says, I'm the one who chose God. The other camp says, God's the one who chose me, but it's both. And that in Revelation, it talks about historical things to us now. It was future then, but it's historical now. It talks about personal things. It talks about actual events that happened then with the emperor. And when he goes in and the abomination and desolation actually happens, the temple is torn down, AD 70, and all these things that begin to happen. Uh, or it was AD 120, I have to look it up. apologize. But then it also talks about the things that happen at the very end of the world. Because I believe that some of these views take into account, forget to take into account the entire scripture. And that prophecy, again, it generally has three levels to it. It has a personal application and has an immediate future fulfillment that will happen historically and practically, but then it also has an end times purpose and an end times fulfillment. As we'll soon see when we talk about the church ages in the first few chapters of Revelation, uh, we see that there was actual churches in John's day that these letters were to. Uh, but history has shown us that there's actually ages of churches that match up to these as well. But I believe it also can be applied to ourselves as Christians personally, but also to the church corporately that we might belong to. Even if the name on the door is the same as the, the name on a door of a church 10 miles down the road, that one church might be behaving more like Laodicea and another one might be more like Sardis, as we'll see. But I think personally it can also apply to us. Yeah, we might go to a church that has a good name on the door and has a good reputation, but us personally, maybe spiritually, we belong to one of these churches that has a bad reputation. And also prophecy in some sense, like we talked about before, is just a word of prophecy, speaking forth the things of God. Someone can also have the gift of prophecy, like the gift of evangelism or teaching to where their specific gift from God in the spirit is prophecy. And I don't mean necessarily telling future things. I just mean speaking forth the things of God into people's lives. Um, and for their edification, not for their judgment. But I think there's also the calling of a prophet, like Elijah, John here, and also Jesus was a prophet. But as we start the book of Revelation, please ask yourself with me and consider these things honestly. Do I really believe the Bible? And if I do, how does my life show it? Both internally spiritually, mentally, but also externally to those who are around me, to how I live my life. Number two, what do you believe and why do you and I believe it? Is it just because you or I were told it by our pastor, by our parent, by our denomination, by a book, by a TV series? Or do you believe it because you believe it for yourself, so to speak, because God revealed it to you as you studied 
as you sought out, what does the scripture really say about this? Hmm, I see what they're saying, and I see what they're saying, but it seems the scripture might be saying something a little deeper. And do you or I believe all of the Bible? Because it's one thing to accept the teaching of Jesus. Some people will accept some of the things they say. Some people will accept the other things. It's one thing to accept stories like the story of King David. And just like with Genesis, do we take the Bible literally? There's different views in Genesis on how it happened. But if not, why not? And if not, if only partial, why do you even just accept the partial? What's the point? If you know that there's truth in the Bible, we need to accept the entire truth because otherwise we're, we're making up our own truth. We're picking and choosing and you can't do that. You can't, with the law, you can't pick and choose what's right and wrong and say, oh, I didn't know. Well, it doesn't matter. You saw it, you read it. Just because you didn't like it doesn't mean that it's not true or effective or the law. And if we're willing to accept all these things, we need to be ready to digest it of what's about to be eaten in our study may taste sweet or it may taste bitter. For Jeremiah 15, 16 says, Your words were found and I ate them, and your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Ezekiel 3, 1-3 says, Moreover, God said to me, Son of man, eat what you find, eat this scroll, and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth. And he caused me to eat that scroll. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly and fill your stomach with the scroll that I give you. So I ate, and it was in my mouth like honey and sweetness. A scroll being the word of God. Revelation 10, 8 through 11 says, Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, This is to John, Go, take the little book which is open at the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And the angel said to me, Take and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, You must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. And we need to know that God intends even the bitter things contained in Revelation to be sweet to us. That because ultimately this book is a warning to those who don't know God to come to him. To be safe from judgment and to see the Lord for who he really is. The God of the universe. The God who's able to judge and to judge righteously. And for those of us who are on that side of the story, that we already have that assurance that we need to be excited for his return. That Revelation isn't doom and gloom for us. It is Jesus is coming back. Praise God. Evil is being done away with. Justice is finally being served. For all those people, where is God when this happens? Well, here's where he is. And he's coming out to meet that uh, judgment on the earth for the sin of the earth. Luke 21, 25 through 28 says, And there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. Isn't that today? Men's heart, people are losing their minds because of what's happening. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption 
draws near. Not only for us, that I don't believe we're in the tribulation period yet, but things are getting bad and worse now, and we can look up and see that uh, time is coming, uh, our redemption draws nigh. But also those who go through the great tribulation, when they see it getting worse and they've turned to the Lord, they know that their redemption is even closer. And with that, let's read the first three verses of Revelation chapter 1. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Again, we see that this book is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is a prophecy for Jesus, of Jesus, and by Jesus to his people. And it's interesting that the word revelation in Greek is apocalypsis. It's the apocalypsis of Jesus Christ. And it's interesting that we take the word apocalypse, right? And use it as an end term, end time term, even the world. But it means laying bare, making naked, a disclosure of truth, instruction, concerning things before unknown, used of events by which things or states or persons hitherto withdrawn from view or made visible all. So these things that we didn't understand before, now we can understand because they've been apocalypsis. They've been revealed to us. It's a manifestation, an appearance. This is an appearance of the risen Lord to all the earth. He revealed himself to the, the believers and the believers will go out and spread the gospel. And as people, some people believed and some people denied and rejected over the years, in the end times, Jesus is coming back and make no mistake, just like when before God showed up to Moses and to the prophets, they would hide in the cleft of the rock and there would be fire and wind and hail and God was not in those judgments, but he was in the still, small voice. And that's the still, small voice of Revelation here today, that as these revelations and judgments come, man, God is not necessarily in those judgments, but he is following them. Because if God wanted us all judged, all dead, we would be already. People are like, well, why doesn't God do this and that? The answer is because God has to give that person time to repent, to be just to them. And God has to give every one of us time because if he had to cut the time out for the robber, for the Nazi, he would have to do the same thing for you and me. And we'd all be knocked out. And he never would have sent Jesus in the first place. He never would have promised the coming Messiah in Genesis to begin with. Because he wants to give all of us every last chance to succeed and to come to know. Because he wants his servants to know what he's going to do. In fact, he wants everybody to know. The Bible is available at every bookstore, perhaps less in China or some other country. But you're able to read it. People for thousands of years have been free to read this book. Because he wants to show us. The Father wants Jesus to show these things. That if we are his servants, and in fact the Bible says more than servants, we're his friends, we are going to know what he's doing. And Revelation, God wants us to know what he's about to do. He doesn't want our heads to be in the sand. And we know as believers our heads shouldn't be in the sand. A lot of times we think the future is hidden from us, like Yoda, but it is not. The future is not hidden from us, it's clear. But we have to look. If we don't put on our revelation binoculars, we don't do our future search in the Bible, we're never going to find the results with the answers we need. We need. 
And it's interesting that the Bible says that these things which must shortly take place. This word must means it is necessary. There is a need of. It is right and proper that these judgments must happen because God is righteous and God is a judge of all the earth. And if he didn't judge the earth for its sin, well, the truth is he already did judge the earth for his sin in Jesus, but the earth rejected Jesus. And so all that's left is the actual judgment to come. It also means necessity, such as lying in the nature of the case. Necessity brought on by circumstances, by the conduct of others toward us. Necessity in reference to what is required to attain some end. In order to get the end God wants for all of us, in order to get the new heaven, in order to get heaven and get sin wiped away, these things have to happen. And judgment is coming because judgment is due. When Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed, like we saw in Genesis, is because judgment was due. God went down himself before he judged them. He basically went down there with his angels and said, it is true. Wipe them out. But before he wiped them out, who did he rescue? Lot. And his daughters. And his wife turned back and his sons-in-laws laughed and everyone else kept partying and full of debauchery until that fire and brimstone rained down. And Lot was pulled out of the last second. Nineveh as well. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh, if you remember that story. Why? Because he knew that God would forgive them if they repented. And what did Nineveh do? Nineveh repented when Jonah showed up and said, God is going to bring judgment on you. But what did Jesus say to the cities near where he lived in Bethsaida and Chorazin? He says, woe to you, because if, basically, if I had showed up in Sodom and Gomorrah, like I showed up for you guys, if these things were preached there, if they had known these things before, they would have repented. But you haven't. So know that when the tribulation comes, know that it's just. Know that it's because we didn't repent and we didn't turn. And in some sense, know that if America falls, it's because America didn't repent. That if America falls, it's not because we've lost our dominance in the world. We've lost our dominance in the world because we've let sin defeat us. And make no mistake, the days we live in are the most evil they've ever been. And don't believe the world, don't believe the latest humanist preacher. It's only getting worse. It's not getting better. Isaiah 5.18, Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of vanity, and sin as if with a cart rope, that say, Let him make speed and hasten his work, that we may see it. Like, let God bring his judgment. We want to see that. The Bible also talks about, you know, don't rejoice that judgment is coming. It's not something to be excited about. I'm not excited about the judgment. I'm excited about Jesus. What are those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter? What are those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight? That's the whole point of all is to show us that we're not wise, that we're not prudent, that we've called evil good. Who justify the wicked drinking wine and intoxicating drink, who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away justice from the righteous man. Therefore, as the fire devours the stubble and the flame consumes the chaff, so their root will be as rottenness and their blossom will ascend like dust because they've rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. A judgment comes because we've rejected Jesus. And we can avoid this judgment if we just realize that God loves us. And this letter in Revelation was given to the Apostle John. He was on the island of Patmos. He was exiled there. It was a prison island um, with some probably very bad criminals. 
Uh, church legend, or perhaps even history, says that they tried to kill him in a, in a boiling vat of oil, but he didn't die, and so they exiled him. So can you imagine dealing with burns and all that and being on this prison island? But it says that it was signed by an angel, that these angels were messengers to us. Uh, and we see that this angel gives him a letter full of signs, brings him to heaven, and tells him to describe these things. Um, uh, and we'll see through Revelation. Uh, Chuck Missler brought this to my attention as I was listening to some studies from him. He says that we see angels describe the things that happened on earth in this book. And we see the elders in heaven, who aren't the angels, who are people, describe the things that go on in heaven. I think it's interesting that God uses angel to, to, to show us things that happen spiritually on earth. But the more important spiritual realm, the heavenly realm, is told us by the elders. But he's described these things which he saw. That's a witness. Our witness to Jesus is the things that we saw. Not something that someone told us. Not something that we believe just because we're supposed to believe it. But because we've seen it. We've seen the risen Lord. And this entire book of Revelation is the testimony of Jesus. That remember before he died on the cross, Jesus kept his mouth shut. Before he was judged for sin, Jesus didn't say a word. But before the world is judged for sin, before this hour of trial for us, he speaks loud and clear. And blessed are those, Revelation itself says, those who read, hear, and keep. To read is to distinguish between, to recognize, know accurately, to acknowledge, to read it. Just to read it. To hear it to attend to it, to consider what is or what has been said that we might understand it and to perceive the sense and with our senses what has been said, to keep it, to attend to carefully, to take care of, to guard, to observe, and to reserve. That as believers and anyone who truly reads this book, we have a duty and responsibility to it and for it, to read it, to understand it, and to know it. I think that's why people are afraid of it. Because when they start to read it, they don't understand it and they don't want to know it. Or they do begin to understand it and it scares them because they see that the sin that they've been playing around with, they can't play around with. And if you start to read Revelation, you go, I can't play around with my sin anymore. That this is legitimate and it legitimately deserves judgment. But you know what? With that responsibility comes great reward. And the reward is to be blessed. And that word blessed means happy. I'm going to be happy reading Revelation? Well, you should be. You should have a peace. You should be blessed by it. That in a world that's gone mad, in a world that is willfully dark, in a world that celebrates evil, today it's no wonder that suicide rates are so high, that people are depressed and on drugs, both by prescription from their doctor and prescribed by a society that makes these awful things legal and acceptable as we as believers can be happy. And that blessing is a high the world can't touch, can't manufacture, can't copy, can't steal, can't take away. That the things in Revelation are meant ultimately to say, yes, I can't wait to go to heaven. Yes, I'm so glad that justice is being served for the wicked that's in the world. But also, man, that we might have a resolve and a duty to share the gospel that people would not face this, that we wouldn't be excited that these things happen to the people on the earth as we read, but we would be heartbroken over it and it would compel us to share the truth of God and to live rightly in light of that. But this word time means due measure, a measure of time, an opportune or seasonable time, the right time, 
a definite time, a limited period of time, and the states of times. And is near, or like how in one translation it says is at hand, like these things are at hand, like they're close enough for you to grab them, close enough for you to touch them, and really close enough to us now in our, time pre- in our present time to understand them. And it also means place of position. Those who are near God, the Jews even use it um, uh, to a word or those who are opposite of being alien from God, that you are near him. The time is at hand that we are near God. We are near the Lord when these things happen, that our salvation is drawing near, that any day it will be available. That if you were to put the UPS tracking on this, he's already out for delivery. The package of God's revelation is out for delivery to you and I. And that it will soon come to pass. That it's at our doorstep. Just go open the door and receive the blessing. And Philippians 4, 5 says, Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. That as we go through this, Revelation, please feel free to read ahead. Please read ahead. Please do your own research, your own study. Listen to other good teachings on it. Read it for yourself and be blessed as you do. And if you want to talk about it and... uh, uh, argue over it or whatever we need to do i think that's awesome i love it a pastor friend and i pastor Vinny, who's on the board here in new york um he and i were talking about the other night for a few hours and it was fantastic um, because i guarantee that you will begin to see the world differently your eyes will be opened and you will see even the smallest headline in the news again i don't think we're in the great tribulation we'll get there but i believe that we're in those last things that are going to happen right before it where the birth fangs get stronger as we read these news headlines, they all begin to fall into place. They all begin to make sense when otherwise these senseless tragedies don't make any sense. These political alliances uh, that the world touts as wonderful, we go, that's not wonderful. And maybe you even think that these things are good and the times are good. But as you read Revelation, you realize that, wow, this really is the spirit of the end of the world coming together to do all these things. And I don't want anything to do with it. So with that... We'll get into more of Revelation next time. And Lord, we pray that you would reveal yourself to us in the scripture, that we would see you and know you, and that others might come to know you through it. And that, God, you would use us as your witnesses to the end of the earth before it's too late. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for taking our judgment, becoming our judgment. And God, any of those who haven't accepted you, may they come to know you. And anyone listening who isn't fully on board with you, would they come and get in the boat, so to speak, and be saved from their sin and be... Uh, receive all the love and blessing that comes from a heavenly father who loves them and cares for their every need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May God bless you and keep you and his face shine upon you. And may you be blessed as we go through Revelation together. There is a vineyard of the Lord. There is a vineyard for our soul. With all our troubles left behind the door, we drink first light until the door.